This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, hello again. It is fantastic to have you back and to welcome you to what's going to be a very special episode of our podcast, Extraordinary People, The Pride of Britain. Brought to you from all of us at the Pride of Britain team and our friends at TSB. Now, as you all know, we have always been on a bit of a mission here to celebrate amazing people doing amazing things and those who go that extra mile for other people. And this week is no different. This week is about starting life again. How, how, how can we do it? What do we need to do when the odds are stacked against us? We are about to find out. Our first guest is famous for living life to the full and very much on his own terms. Whether he's dancing on stage with his band, The Happy Mondays, making us all crack up laughing on Gogglebox or living the good life at his hideaway in Wales. Life is never, ever, ever dull with Bez. He's long been a supporter of the Pride of Britain team and so it's fantastic to be able to catch up with him. So hello, Bez. Welcome to oh. our podcast. How do? How are you? Very good, thank you. Um, this podcast, as I'm sure you know, is all about what makes people tick, what motivates people, what inspires people. You're someone who really seems to enjoy life, I've got to say. You always seem very upbeat. So what is your what is your secret? How do you stay so positive? Um, well, I've, I've made quite a lot of changes in my life recently. Uh, one of them being I juice every day. Uh, I I drink loads of water every day, which is no, because uh, one one of the things I always say is that uh, no, we've got this great big thing now with Alzheimer's and dementia and all that, and I I believe it's all down to dehydration and dehydration of the brain in your brain. So so with bearing that in mind, I drink loads of water to make sure I'm really well hydrated and that uh, all my brain signals are firing well. And I enjoy, uh, well, I live on the Hereford Monmouth border. I enjoy a, a really beautiful life down there. And I wake up every morning, I open the curtains and I say to my fiance, <laughs> how lucky we are. Oh, so I know you recently got engaged, didn't you? It's quite recent. Can you tell us a bit about it, what you did? Yeah, yeah, well, um, the, the local mountain near us, we live at the beginning of the Black Mountains, and there's a mountain uh, on the way to Hereford, uh, to Abervigene, and it's called Skirid. So what I did, I got all her family up there, her mum and dad and sisters, and I got all my friends and family at the top of the hill, and they set up, a, not got a big pic, proper picnic basket, made a picnic, and uh, I told uh, my girlfriend that we was going for a walk up the hill, and as as we're going up, uh, she could see a silver blue uh, D blowing because her brother died a few years ago. So we had a picture of her brother up there with a big blue with his initial on it. She said, "Oh, D for Daesh." Then she goes, "Wow, I'm sure that's my sister's up there." And then dad, and she started screaming, going, "Oh, what's going on?" And then, yeah, and then I got down on one knee and proposed. 
We had a picnic on top of the mountain. It was the most beautiful day. You've got 360-degree views. You can see right into Wales. You can see right into England. Uh, yeah, and it was a, a, a lovely, a lovely day. Wow, you're all romantic. I know. Well, I'm 58 now, and I thought I'd better do it before it's too late, you know what I mean? And uh, I don't want to go through life without you know, getting married at least once. Yeah, completely. So when are you going to get married? Well, we're getting married now in September, uh, September the 3rd. I live on a, a big country estate, and it's got everything there. It's got a big manor house. It's got uh, the church. So we, everything's going to be done within the estate. So, yeah. And they know the maddest thing is during lockdown, my dad was doing all the uh, family tree. And one day he phoned me up going, Mark, Mark, you don't believe it. But one of my uh, auntie's uh, great-grandmas was born here in 1705. Whoa. She lived in, in in the house just next door to me. And her father and grandfather are also buried in the churchyard where we're getting uh, married. No way. And that's like 300, over 350 years ago. So in a way, it feels like I've come back a full circle. But have you ever read the book Cloud Atlas? Yes, I have. Brilliant book. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a bit like Cloud Atlas, you know, how, how, how over moves. centuries uh, families' paths keep crossing. And it reminded me a, a, a lot of uh, Cloud Atlas. Wow. So where you are, because it does sound idyllic where you are. And obviously some people, I mean, it's interesting with you because some people will know you, you know, they know you and Sean from Gogglebox. They don't know anything about, you know, your life before. Other people know you from the Mondays. Or the, you know, you've got all these different groups of fans. So I think some people would be surprised to know about your, what to me sounds like this beautiful, good life. What's like a typical day for you in, when you're out in the countryside? What do you do? Well, I, I, I love it here because um, I've got all friends. There's a lot of people living alternative lifestyles. Uh, you know, a lot of small old farmers doing like different things, you know what I mean? And uh, all organic as well. And I, I just love, I just love it here. And the great thing about living here as well is because it's not on a commute to anywhere. It's sort of like really difficult to get to. So the only people who actually live here, either the locals or people who really want to live here, you know what I mean? It's because it's not like you know, it's not Andy for anywhere. It's not Andy for London. It's not Andy for Manchester. It's about it is a proper slog and a commute to get anywhere. And that, that's what's nice about the place. And we've got th th things like Hay and Y just up the road, uh, the Kingdom of Books. So, you know, it's it's just a great place to live. Sounds it. So are you? would you say that you are now a reformed party animal or are you, do you still have your moments? No, no. Well, because of my job, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I, I get uh, <laughs> I get to manage to you know, enjoy bo both sides of life, you know what I mean? But because I I I now more aware of um, you know myself getting older for one, and uh, and I want to like no age sort of no being well. I don't want I don't want to become unwell in my old age. So I'm, I'm aware of the the things I have to do to remain healthy through food. Actually, you know, to getting the right nutrient and uh, eating good food and uh, making sure that. Uh, my 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 body cells degenerate slowly rather than at a rapid pace. 
Yeah. Do you know what? I always think that about you. I remember reading your um, autobiography years ago. And even at the height of like, you know, Monday's madness, you were someone who was dead fit. You know, you were like still on your bike or playing football or I don't know. You never seem to have got fat. Yeah, no, no. That's that's because I enjoy being active as well. And I'm out in the garden. We grow our own veg. Like it's just some old, I've been away now. I've just come back. I've been away for four weeks. And I'm going to have to get right out there tomorrow. The garden's like a jungle now, you know what I mean? It's only been four weeks, so I've been away. And you won't believe what I've come back to. Do you grow loads of food then? Have you got animals and food? Well, I, I, I was doing, um, but the last couple of years I've been that busy. I've had to put it on a uh, suit to one side for the moment, you know what I mean? Because uh, obviously uh, it's that it. No, especially when you're doing it organically. It's a full-time job maintaining and weeding constantly, you know what I mean? So, um, but I've put it to a side for, for the last couple of years, but I can I know that I can do it and I will go back there. But in, in the height of when I first moved here, when I was really enthusiastic, I had everything going on. I've still got all my beds, everything's still ready. But like I say, I've been away now for four weeks and you, you won't believe what's happened to the garden in these last four weeks. I know. All that rain plus sun, it's, everything's gone wild, hasn't it? Does Sean ever it's come back? Like I've come back to like a jungle. Yeah, I can believe it. Does Sean ever come and visit you down there? Well, you know what? He, he hasn't actually been down here yet. I've been trying to get him down here for, forever. Because I know if he came down here, he'd, he'd absolutely love it, you know what I mean? But uh, I've, I've, I know if I do get him to come down here, I can convince him to move down there with me because I've done it everywhere else I live, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, do you know what? Friendship's a big part of this podcast. We talk a lot about friends and, and friendships. And obviously you and Sean, you've famously been friends for a dead long time. What what Have you had any ups and downs? Or are you just, have you just... Oh, yeah, well, I've got it's like uh, any friend, and we always say our relationships like a sexless marriage. Perfect. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we have all the ups and downs of uh, any relationship. You know what I mean? We've we've gone through it all. You know what I mean? But the thing is, I've, no matter what's gone on and uh, how much we might have our little fallouts and that, we've always no remained good friends, and we've. We've always put aside any differences, you know what I mean, and uh, we've always, you no, know, remained good, strong friends. What What is it that you like? What do you love about Sean, and what do you think he loves about you? Uh, well, I couldn't say what he loves about me, but uh, um, uh, it's been such a a you no. Know, my friendship with Sean is, is giving me the lifestyle I have now. You know what I mean. And uh, I've, I'm always grateful for that that lifestyle and the life I live, you know what I mean? And that, that was born out of our friendship and being in the Happy Mondays. It's given us a, a fantastic life, you know, a, un- unbelievable. Like, money can't buy this lifestyle, what I, I've had. And it's been like, well, you know what I mean? It's been like a life-saving thing for me. And you're still working together. So I think you two must be two of the most loved people on Celebrity Gogglebox because you're clearly <laughs> natural. You've got all your snacks. What, what yeah, yeah. You can never quite tell what you've got. What have you got as snacks? Well, I can let you into a little secret. 
It's very hard to get a word in edgeways with Mr. Ryder. He's got so much to say for himself. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good that everyone can see that we are, like, genuine friends from the, the goggle box experience. And, uh, and it's a great job as well because uh, during the lockdown, we, when we first started filming it, it was great because we got to hang about with your mate in a home, in a home environment without breaking the law. <laughs> Not like Boris, you know what I mean? We were genuinely working. <laughs> yeah, just working. And, and, uh, you know, and, uh, having a great sound together, doing a little bit of work. So, yeah, it was fantastic. And do you, because you, you've done quite a few TV projects, you seem quite fearless, obviously dancing on ice. You know, you take things on and just seem to go for it. Are you someone who, have you got a bit of an appetite for excitement and doing new things? One of the most scariest things, well, you know, with the dancing on ice, first of all, I'm still at the physiotherapist recovering from that one. I realise my, my body is not quite as young and flexible as it used to be, and I didn't quite bounce off the ice like I would like to. But another thing, what uh, just previously to it, I'd done a, a boxing match against Clayton Blackmore, and they had double vision as well for the first, you know, all the training. So I, I had, when I was skating down the ice, I had two ice rinks. I didn't know whether I was on the top one or the bottom one. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that is, I mean, what I realise now is, like, I, I might know, avoid all these no-danger sports now. I mean, I don't know. You seem very young at heart. I know I read this interview with you not so long ago where, you were talking about when you were a baby that you were even a bit naughty when you were a baby. So do you think, have you, were you just born a bit kind of naughty and taking your own path? Yeah, I think so. And uh, yeah, and it, it wasn't so much as naughty. It was like misunderstandings with the rest of the world. <laughs> but I didn't set out to be genuinely naughty, you know what I mean? It was just one of those things. But uh, yeah, like Sean says, he, he, he's discovered he's got HAD. Uh, no, late on his life in his fifties, and he always tries to claim I have it, but I, I like to like no say I have it because I don't like getting labelled with all, the, with all them definitions. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, I, through through me old schooling and that, I was always a lovely, pleasant kid, but always getting into trouble as well. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think when you grow up, like you say, your priorities just change. So, like for you now where you're talking about an emphasis on being well and growing old and being well. You don't want to just grow old. You want to be able to enjoy it like you've enjoyed the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that that's my aim now because, um, you know, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of my friends now, you know what I mean, at my age of 58, and they're, they're falling to pieces, you know what I mean. They've all got different sorts of illnesses going on. And I'm really keen, well, the last, nine years, nearly 10 years now, I've taken steps you know, to to avoid uh, uh, what I see as pitfalls of uh, going into old age. And I've taken measures to try and uh, avoid uh, you know, th th these possible difficulties in later life. So I've yet to see whether it works or not. Come and ask me in another 10 years' time and I'll tell you if it had or not. Oh God, I hope it does. I think Another thing we love about you is that you've been a, a really great supporter of Pride of Britain and Pride of Manchester. I know you've helped us surprise winners and, and helped us out with things like that in the past. 
Why have you wanted to get involved? Why do you think it's such a, an important thing to celebrate people doing good things? Well, because yeah, it's it's because it, it's really important because within this day and age, and and even so, it now as well because with what's going on in the world and like high inflation, if people didn't have it in their hearts to go out and help other people, then nothing would be getting done. You know what I mean? And we need people who, who you know feel driven and like passionate about you no know, causes. What are, and some of the people come to these causes through you no know, things what have happened to themselves, and if they're like they're determined to help, and it's nice to get some you no know, recognition, you know, for for what what you're doing. And they're, they're not doing it for the recognition, but it's nice like like the Pride of Britain and Pride of Manchester, you know, uh, have set up a thing and recognise people's hard work and and what they've done for the community. And I think it's really important because, like I say, I I do a lot of work for Coffee for Craig, which is a homeless charity. And I do that because, you no, know, when I was younger, from like 16 to almost 22, I I, I, I was living, you no, know, more or less homeless without, if it weren't for the kindness of friends and that. And it's great that uh, there's people out there wanting to do something and try and make a difference for people's lives, help them get back into homes again, you know, feeding people. And and it's it's important work because uh, I remember when I was a kid, I, there was none of that about. And I used to lie, you know, uh, I remember sleeping under bushes, dreaming about eating a meat pie, you know what I mean? I get 50 pence to eat a meat pie. So, yeah, so that's why I've got a, a, a thing for Coffee for Craig and helping them out through my own personal experience. So I think it's uh, no, it's really important that people out there who, who do these things and because nobody else is going to do it even now because, like, the government's got no money to help people anymore. Things are just getting worse and we've got to do what we can to help each other. I think you're right. I think that's a, a, a really... That, that's just the sentiment, isn't it? We've got to do what we can at the end of the day. We can all do something. And I think when you look at the awards, you see people just doing what they can in their community just out of, out of the good of the heart. But well, look, I think that's a brilliant note to end on. All so right. thank you so much for your time, Bez. I hope you do age well. <laughs> well, I'm trying. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for joining us. I really enjoyed chatting to you. Okay, thank you very much. You take care now. Oh, thanks, Bez. As he says, life is what you make it. At TSB, we're proud to partner with the Pride of Britain Awards because we want to say thank you to all the everyday heroes, to the ones who put the fun in fundraising or those who speak up for others, to the good-natured few who plant seeds to feed communities and to the warm-hearted people who always have the kettle ready. TSB partners the Pride of Britain Awards, thanking those who help others, because that's life made more. Life is what you make it. And someone who knows all about that is our next guest, Dwayne Jackson. Dwayne is a quite incredible Pride of Britain winner. He won the Prince's Trust Young Achiever Award in 2015. Why? Well... Dwayne was brought up in children's homes around London and he really didn't have the easiest start in life. He left school without qualifications and when he was 19, he was sent to prison for trafficking drugs. But 
Even by then, he'd already developed a fascination for IT. It was something he was really good at. With the help and the advice of the Princess Trust, once he'd left prison, he set up his own IT business, selling it off about 10 years later for an estimated 20 million pounds. He's gone on to find several businesses and donated a lot of money back to the Princess Trust to help others, as well as encourage others in prison to learn IT themselves. He is a brilliant example of someone who took control of his own life and his own destiny and the power of using your experience to help other people. Dwayne Jackson, the last time I saw you was in the red bar at the Grosvenor House Hotel, I think, at some ungodly hour in the morning, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, I remember it well. It's good fun. <laughs> I don't remember much of it, but <laughs> <laughs> that was after the Pride of Britain Awards. Now, um, your story is one that I could quite see Netflix making into some great big blockbuster movie because mm. it is quite extraordinary. So can we just start from the beginning? So I grew up in, in Newham, which is sort of one of the, the poorest parts of London, um, in, in various children's homes. Uh, so moved around different children's homes, moved around different schools, um, got kicked out of two secondary schools. I say kicked out, so I actually I got kicked out of one school. The second one started bunking off, not really going in much, a couple of days here and there. But like, no one seemed to notice. So it, it just became, I just stopped going. Um, so didn't sit any GCSEs. Um, so left school 15, no GCSEs. Um, whilst I was in the children's homes, I, I found a book on how to program computers, picked that up and taught myself how to program and really enjoyed that. So we're talking, we're just about out of the BBC micro state. Yep. Yeah, so this is the ZX Spectrum. Yeah, the ZX Spectrum and the Amstrad. Yeah, it's got a lot to answer for. <laughs> With the green and black screens. That's it, and rubber keys and... Yeah, so you know. when you say about, oh, I picked up a book and, you know, it was about computing, you know, I just want to to, you know, remind people of mm. it was very different. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wasn't going to school. I was at the children's home, and they said, you can't watch TV, you're meant to be at school. So this is around between schools for some reason I never did understand. And they were giving me worksheets to work on that's like how to tell the time. And I, I was like 13, 14. I knew how to tell the time. And they said, and I saw this box, the ZX Spectrum. I said, look, can I work with that? I was very careful not to say play. Can I work with that? <laughs> and they said, well, yeah, of course, go for it if it will keep you busy. So it kept me out of their hair and opened up the box and set it all up. And all, all I had, so I didn't have the internet to search for help, but I had this big, thick manual that came with the computer. And that taught, from the basics of 10, print hello, 20, go to 10, and it would just go in a loop and say, hello, hello, hello. Um, yeah. And from there, you build on that. So, but that, that served me well later on. So um, left children's homes. Um, and I'd grown up around a lot of crime um, because of where I was, the environment I was in. And I hadn't really got much involved with it. And actually went and got my first job. I was contracting and doing reasonably okay. Um, but very poor money management skills. So was in a situation where I had no money. My friends I knew had escalated from selling weed on the streets of East London to uh, moving ecstasy tablets across the Atlantic to New York. Um, so I pretty much volunteered to get involved with that. To One, to the fun of going to America. Um, and some money in my bank um, and didn't really give it much thought. was very blase about it and, and got involved with them drug trafficking, not knowing we were under surveillance um, and had been for some time. So on one occasion, I landed in Atlanta um, and was stopped 
arrested uh, and the DEA found me in possession of six and a half thousand extra tablets. Um, spent a, in hindsight, hilarious night with the DEA. I mean, it got very scary afterwards, but that one night with the DEA of pretending I was going to help them deliver the drugs was, yeah, like, that was something, like something out of a film. And, um, and how old were you then? So I would have been 19, maybe just turning 20. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, 1920. So it's a pretty young. That's scary stuff, really. Yeah. And when I got into prison over there, um, they made it very clear that you're looking at 25 years here because it's, yeah. And, and I don't think I'd give them much thought to what happens if I get caught doing this. And I think I thought I'd get a slap on the wrist and sent home. Um, because was, although I never really took any drugs, there was a lot of ecstasy around in the sort of mid to late 90s. And, and in my head, I thought, well, at least it's not uh, cocaine or heroin. But actually, in the eyes of the law, it's identical. It's a class A drug. So, yeah, I was looking at 25 years over there. Fortunately, managed to, so someone bailed me out and we managed to get bailed. And I got, came back to the UK on the condition that I'd go back a year later and stand trial. In that year that I was in the UK, the UK police, um, who arrested the, the rest of the, the gang because we were under surveillance, um, got the US to drop the charges so they could charge me here. So at least now I was looking at sentencing there in the UK. So rather than 25 years, I was only looking at 12 years. And I was telling someone the other day, I should go and find the judge. It was Judge Rucker at Southwark Crown Court. Um, we were told expect 12 years. We all got found guilty. And when we got sentenced, it was like we won the FA Cup. No one in the dock could answer. We were all high-fiving because I got five years. Someone else got six years and nine years. He was expecting 18. He got nine. And what the judge said was, you guys are so young doing what you're doing. I normally see 40, 50-year-olds in terms of this level of sophisticated drug trafficking, and I don't want to ruin your lives. You're obviously all smart guys. So I'm going to give you a sentence that you deserve, but not one that will take up the rest of your life. And so I served my time um, in prison. Um, but thankfully, because I wasn't away so long, I did have a life to look forward to when I got out. And many people listening, you know, will obviously judge what you did and so on. But we are believers that, you know, people have second chances and sometimes third chances. What happened with the IT skills? Because, because ultimately, that's where you've made your money, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, I, I kind of thought it's great. I'll do a, an open university degree with all this time I've got on my hands. Not a problem. And very quickly realised that was not going to be an option. Um, in prison, you have to either be doing, working in what they call industry, um, which would have been sewing boxer shorts at that point, um, or in education. Um, education is only really geared up for sort of the lowest common denominator. So it will give you your basic English, your basic maths, okay. and a basic IT course as well. So I signed up for that. Um, and I think it's a two-month course, and I went and did it in the morning. <laughs> and the teacher said, well, okay, very clever, showing off, but you're stuck with me for two months now because you're assigned to me for two months. So you're going to have to help me teach everyone else. Um, and that's what I did. And I really enjoyed it and was, was helping to teach other inmates programming skills. Um, well, not programming skills, so basic IT skills, so using Word and whatever else. Yeah. Um, and actually, that's when I got my first award. So David Blunkett was then Home Secretary, and I got a Millennium Volunteers Reward in the year 2000. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then that teacher fell ill. Um, eventually stopped coming in so I was teaching that course pretty much myself um, in the prison all my co-defendants we were all getting to the end of our sentence now this is a couple of years into the sentence they were all getting moved to open prisons to finish the sentence and I wasn't and I couldn't work out why and so the prison officer took me to one side and said look you do realize why you're not in an open prison yet no tell me because I should be he said if you leave this prison we have to find money to pay a teacher to do that course stop (laughs) teaching the course and you'll get transferred um so I stopped teaching, yeah, and ended up going to Ford Prison. 
better class of premium. HMP Butlins is what people call it. <laughs> it's, it's a lot easier then, definitely. So they were. How old were you when you came out then? So I got out in two thousand and two. So I would have been twenty four by the time I got out of prison. Okay, so still yeah. a young man. Yeah, yeah. Now you can teach basic IT quite well, yeah. um, and you. So you could have gone down that route. You probably knew that IT was growing in the world. Yeah. Um, and so what was the thought process that made you do the next thing? So by that time, I, had, I was a competent web developer, so I could build stuff for the web by that point. So I had a skill that I knew was employable. Yeah. What I didn't realise, so we didn't have the Apprentice or Dragon's Den back then, right? So I didn't realise the idea of the option of running the business was one that was available to me. And I, I remember um, close to the end of my sentence at Ford, um, in the education department, there were some volunteers from an organisation called the Prince's Trust that came in to talk about something they do called um, the Enterprise Programme. Yeah. And they help people from underprivileged backgrounds set up businesses. Um, not just help you get set up, but actually give you the skills you need and, and teach you the basics of running a business. And I was like, I'm allowed to run a business. Okay, this could be interesting. Um, <laughs> and then when I got out, so my girlfriend, uh, Nadia, who you met, my now wife, was pregnant very quickly. And I remembered thinking when I was in jail, we saw these guys with the pictures of their family stuck up on the wall. And I remember thinking, I'm glad I'm not one of those guys. I'm doing this on my own. I'm not missing anyone growing up. So a baby on the way, Prince's Trust, they're saying, if you want to start a business, we'll help you. Um, it seemed like a no-brainer to me. So I went to the Prince's Trust, got help to set up a business, and I set up as a programmer for hire, essentially, building stuff for the web, working with web designers, doing the techie stuff. Because it's interesting, isn't it, you know, that they gave you the thought. Because often kids think, well, who am I going to work Exactly. Yeah. Who's going to employ me? Exactly. Um, And it's a big mind shift, isn't it? It's with my kids. Like when they're playing games, she, my my daughter isn't the waitress in the cafe or the cooking cafe. No, it's your cafe. You might be working in it, but you're the boss of the cafe. (laughs) Even getting her when she's giving me the price of the cakes, and if she's saying I'm giving the cakes ten p, I'm saying, well, how much? She's only seven, the poor girl. I'm getting her to a profit and loss on her cakes that she's making. (laughs) So tell us about the business then. So initially, it was just a programmer for hire. Um, and I got going and, and got some customers that were paying me to do this business. I was doing okay. And there was a government scheme at the time that helped as well. So for the first six months, I kept all my benefits. It paid the, the housing benefit and so on. and managed to build it up to an okay position. Well, I was putting food on the table. And that was my only goal. I had no goals to make tens of millions. I just wanted to put food on the table uh, legally and uh, not risk and all take away and going to prison. And again, through the Prince's Trust, there was a course they put on for the businesses that they'd helped. And someone made the distinction between a product business and a service business. Yeah. And I realized I'm running a service business. The only way I can make more money is charge more per hour or work more hours and only so many hours in the day. If yeah. you want to make serious money in your sleep, apparently, I was told, for <laughs> the products. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and what I hadn't, I, it took me a while to join the doc. So I'd already started building something to do my own invoicing because the products that were around at the time were not particularly good, certainly not geared to a, a non-accountant type business owner. Um, we're in the early 2000s. Yeah, 2003, four. Yeah, just yeah. post the tech bubble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And all of that, yeah. And there's only two or three options if you want to do your accounting or invoicing, and they were, they were clunky. And so I ended up building my own and then working out how I can sell that to other businesses. And that became a company called Cashflow with a K. Um, and it started very basic. If there's an invoice, it's paid, not paid. 
And by incrementally adding more and more little features based on what our customers are asking for, that grew over a number of years into a full-blown accounting package. Um, but it also surfed that wave of online software. These days, everything's online, even pre-corona. All your software is online now, not a CD or, or something you download. So it stumbled into the right place at the right time with a, with a good product. Um, yeah. And that grew and grew. And by the time I left that business, we had 20,000 customers using it. So wow. it, it was, yeah, it was okay. It was doing well. And, and how much money did you make on that? Because it's I'm not allowed to tell you it was 20 million, but other people have written it. But legally, I'm not allowed to tell you that. Okay. So I sold it for 20 million. I understand those contracts. <laughs> and how old were you then? 35. Wow. 34. What a change. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. 10 years. Yeah. What? Yeah, exactly. and we're coming up now to the 20th anniversary of me getting out of prison. So de December 2002 is when I got out. So yeah, this year it's 20 years. Gosh. I must have dreamt about it because I woke up the other day and said to my wife, it's 20 years today. She's like, what? So it's 20 years today. Should you asleep? I said, no, it's 20 years since I got out of prison. She's like, what are you talking about? It's June. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, morning. <laughs> but it must have been on my brain. But yeah, December. <laughs> December will be 20 years. It must have been. Yeah. It must have been. But... You know, it, it is quite extraordinary. And, and you know, you, you see so many tales and you see them in movies and you see them here, then, you know, which is like just a misery, basically. Yeah. You start in misery, you end up, you live through misery and you end up in misery, you know, and, 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 and this is very different. But for those who are listening, what kind of advice would you give to them? Really, it is just two words. It's do something. Right. So, so you can sit there and say, I don't like it. How it is. OK, great. What are you doing to change that? Um, it's just literally do something and, and, and do it on purpose. Right. So, so many people that I knew in prison, so many people I grew up with end up where they are in life, any point in their life, 15, 20, 40, 60. A lot of people from where I'm from anyway, end up there because the wind blew them there. Um, so there's a so I ended up writing the whole story is a book called 4000 Days. Um, and that's on Amazon. But there's a quote at the front of it that really sums it up for me, which is, if you don't have a plan, you'll end up as part of somebody else's plan. And guess what they've got planned for you? Not much. So it's having your own plan for where you want to go. Take responsibility for what you're doing today, tomorrow, to change your situation. Do something. And it, is, and it doesn't have to be perfect, does it? And it won't always work, right? You, sometimes you'll get it wrong. And it doesn't have to be the right decision. But a decision is better than no decision quite often. So... It's easier when you have a lot of money. Say, oh, yeah, you, you can kind of write it off. You can buy your way out of, out of trouble, for, for want of a better phrase. But when you were in that early stage of the business and people would come to you with, oh, well, that's not quite right, let's say, um, about the software, yeah. how would you take that? And I don't think it's just criticism. It's also the unpredictability, right, of, of what it is you're doing and where you're going to – uncertainty. And so, so yeah. but when you, and, and I think, yeah, that is something that my upbringing gave me, right? So you grow up in children's homes and you know from experience that, yes, this is your bed tonight. Tomorrow morning, you could get told, put your stuff in a bin liner, you're moving. And it happened numerous times. And it can happen to you in prison as well. I mean, in prison, I call it ghosting, where you're just gone the next day. Right. Um, you learn to live with uncertainty <laughs> and you accept yeah. it as part of life. And, and that's especially when you're starting a business, it is very uncertain um, how it's going to pan yeah. out, right? Yeah. So I think there's certainly that served me well, that, that, that comfort with, with uncertainty and ambiguity. What have you done since, you know, so, so we were last in the bar 
um, the morning okay. after and, uh, in 2015. What's happened to, to Dwayne and Nadia and the family since then? So we now, so I've started and I'm starting and investing in some other businesses um, uh, and two of them in particular have done very well um, financially for me. Um, and now have three children uh, rather than, than the one. Oh, um, so yeah, been very, very busy home life. Um, wrote the book. So there's a lot of funny stuff that happened in prison um, and with that whole um, drug trafficking time and then with the grind of business. So I wrote the book and you said at the beginning it could be a, a Netflix documentary. Someone's taking a film option on that now. Whether anything comes of it, we'll see. Um, so wrote the book, helped start. So started a charity. I say started actually. It's a guy called Michael that started it as the driving force behind it. A charity called Code 4000. Um, so the name comes from 4,000 days was um, how long, how many days it was from when I got out of prison to when I sold the business close to 4,000 days. So this is code 4,000 and we work with prisons and the MOJ go into prisons and teach um, inmates how to program. So when they get out, they can maybe get jobs in industry or maybe set up on their own in, in business. And, and that is now part of a large organization called Catch 22. Um, but that's, a, yeah, that, that's still going. And we've seen people go through that program and, yeah, transform their lives when they get out of prison. So that's really rewarding. That is absolutely incredible. Really pretty cool, yeah. And I bet that gives you a great thrill when that happens. It does, to be a part of something like that, because what I'm, I'm not so much as a details person or the, the dynamic energy person in the room that's going to get stuff done, but there was somebody else, specifically Michael, had this idea and wanted to do it and wanted some support and, and some, uh, some financial input and um, examples he could use. So, so me, Michael, and a guy called Andrew all, all got involved and Michael's energy is what grew that. So to be a part of that and see that happen is really rewarding. Yeah, oh, that's wonderful. Very much so. And congratulations to you all, three children now. And you yeah. and Nadia have been together for a very long time. Like you said, you know, you knew each other from the like your worst days, really. Yeah, well, she knew when I was 11, when we first met at primary school. Really? Yeah. I didn't realise it was quite Yeah, and we lost, lost touch and then she found me again when I was in prison. Wow, yeah. wow. There's dedication. Yeah. That is yeah. And it's been a long time. And how do you find life now? Do you look back on the times, you know, in school and all of that? Or do you think, no, forever look forward? Yeah, it's definitely much more about today and tomorrow rather than looking back. So firstly, it feels like it was somebody else. Um, and it, and it, it is a lifetime ago, right? But I think just generally the, the way I look at things is always looking forward rather than back. I think it's something that's useful, useful to reflect back. And actually that, and because of a lot of entrepreneurs are like that, right? Yesterday's um, state of the business, your turnover last month, it's done. You can't change that, right? You can impact tomorrow. So we're always looking forward. And not just the Pride of Britain, but business awards. They're really, and this is why I always say I'm business awards and people have won something. Just stop for a second. Stop. <laughs> and look, look how well you've done with your business or whatever it is. And that's what these awards really do, right? You get to look back and go, oh, actually, no, I've done all right, haven't I? And yeah. then you get up tomorrow and you carry on going forward. I, I, I always find this, you know, because I, I talk to the kids and um, I'm like you. I am forever driving, you know, forward. Oh, what's next? What's next? You know, always, all my life. Yeah. And... And it's good sometimes, I think, to look back. And I think, right, what did I, what did I achieve last month? And exactly. I yeah. So I tend to do it like that now, month by month. And I think, oh, actually, I did do that, didn't I? You know, oh, I got, you know, whatever it might be. Especially I, when you've got that feeling that, oh, I haven't got much done. And actually, you, then you've got a bit of paper, your to-do list, all the stuff you ticked off. And we go, oh, okay, I'm doing a lot. And again, it applies to business as well. 
Um, yeah. That whole, what have we got done? Where do we want to be in a month? In a month's time, look back, how well did we do? I want to ask you about uh, the Pride of Britain night. Yeah. And was that, a, uh, you know, a wonderful night for the two of you? It was, definitely. And, and we got to take my oldest as well, which was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been, because of my involvement in the Prince's Trust, so I went for, so when I started my business, I gave money back to Prince Trust to become a patron and I've done a lot and, and met lots of famous people like Bill Gates, Elon Musk, and, but quite often Prince Charles, right? And when you meet Prince Charles, a lot of the fun is sucked out of the occasion by all of the staff that are running around, make sure you're standing right, no, stand at that angle. And it, it kind of puts you on edge the whole night. The thing with the Pride of Britain is so well organised that you enjoy every minute of it. And, and, and all the stuff that goes, and you know the details what the, the day before, everyone's just so relaxed and, and there to enjoy the evening, like, rather than on edge, nervous. And I look over and, and there's my daughter getting a selfie with David Beckham. And, <laughs> and, and it was, yeah, such a, a fun night. And it was enjoyable because of how well organised it was. So, yeah, everyone that's involved behind the scenes at Pride Britain does an amazing job. Yeah, well, it, we're, a, you know... All of us on the team, you know, under ITV in the mirror, it's considered a privilege to be able to be on the team, you know, it's special to us as well. And thank you for saying that. But um, was it with the Platinum Jubilee? Does it, do you have to sort of pinch yourself? You know, that final balcony moment where there's the Queen. Did you have a little thought to yourself when you saw that final balcony moment? Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially because we were sitting to a little place in Mayfair. So we just ran the corner from where it was all happening. We went out and heard the music. Um, and yeah, there's, there's, and, and I try to put those into my life on purpose as well. So a friend of mine that's also done fairly well from a not too dissimilar background says whenever he comes home from holiday, he'll stop at the bottom of the driveway, look up the house and go, wow, look where I live and how I got here. And he'll sit and he'll make his other half sit there for two minutes. He's like, can we take the suitcase? And like, no, I'm just appreciating where I've got to and, and, and just going wow for a moment and then you go in unpack the suitcases and get on get on with your life but yeah it's certainly I try and deliver that to see that future well. king and that he set up the prince's trust yeah. And, yeah. and he is genuinely as you know very very proud of I'm very engaged right with all that's yeah. going on and yeah yeah, it's, it's lots of pinch yourself moments, definitely. Thank you so much for, for sharing things, because a lot of people, you know, that sometimes you think, oh, and there's this book out about that, and I've got to follow, you know, the Tony Robbins exercise, or I've, or, yeah. or, it, or it's not perfect, mm. or I've got to follow this programme, or it's not perfect. And Something I found out, right, it, when you start making a lot of money, you end up around a lot of other people that made a lot of money and done very well. There are so many people that have done very well from incredibly modest backgrounds. They just don't talk about it necessarily. Yeah. Um, and I wish they did more because you, it doesn't really matter where you grew up or where you started. You can do very well in life, whether it's financially or, or what your other goals are. It can be done. And lots of people have done it, even if you can't see them. Oh, well, thank you for everything that you're doing now. And uh, Code 4000 sounds like a fantastic um, opportunity for everybody, you know, who needs a bit of help in, in prison. So um, thank you, Dwayne, and love to the family and more power to your elbow. Thank you. Wow, what Dwayne has done really is wonderful. And uh, thank you, Dwayne, for some valuable pieces of advice there. Well, I think Evie Toombs is a little bit wonderful too. I'll hand you over to JK to tell you more about her story in this, the latest in your Stories of Pride series. Living with what's known as a hidden disability can be very difficult. When people can't see the challenges someone is facing, they can find it tough to acknowledge or understand them. That's why what Evie Toombs has been doing is so important. 
Evie from Lincolnshire was born with a form of spina bifida. She needs physiotherapy every day, is tube fed, wears night splints and lives with chronic pain. As a young girl, she suffered at the hands of bullies who picked on her because she looked normal. So she decided to tackle the problem head on, using her experience to engage with and educate people about the reality of living with hidden disabilities and to try and inspire others by living life to the full. Evie, now 21, spends time in primary school speaking to people about her life and urging children to be kinder to each other. She's written a book too about how she felt when she was being singled out by bullies. A keen horsewoman, also Evie loves show jumping and regularly posts about her sporting achievements on social media and in vlogs too. She competes against able-bodied and disabled riders. Despite constant struggles to stay healthy, she refuses to let her problems get in her way. As she says, her motto is, find a way, not an excuse. She adds, I struggled so much when I was younger. I got bullied a lot and it was really hard because no one understood as I looked normal. It's about trying to have a positive impact, not actually on the children with health conditions, but their friends so that they understand and could be more accepting. When I began sharing my journey and writing blogs, I never imagined how many people were in the same situation, feeling alone yet embarrassed. Pretty soon I realised that sharing all the things I was so keen to hide could have a positive impact and help towards a shift in perceptions of chronic illnesses. If you have an experience you'd like to share about events that have changed your life or that have meant the most to you, and particularly, obviously, the people who have done the most for you, then please do get in touch for the chance to feature in our regular Your Stories of Pride series. For now, though, I'd like to say a big, big thank you to all of our guests, to Dwayne Jackson and, of course, the lovely Bez, our friends at TSB, the lovely JK, and, of course, and most importantly, you for listening. Until next time, let us know what you think of our podcast on our Pride of Britain social media channels. I'll see you next time when we will be talking to more extraordinary people, the Pride of Britain. Mm-hmm.